Before we get to the heart of our sermon this morning, there's a few things that I just want to acknowledge here. Uh, But first is our outgoing board members and nominating committee members. Uh, They are the two elected positions in this congregation. People have said yes to being on the slate, of being voted on by all of you, which you've all, if you're members, you've gone the slate in the mail and you're voting and you are returning them in the ballot box, in the foyer. Got that announcement out of the way. (laughs) The gold ballot box. Uh, They said yes to service of this congregation, of nurturing leaders, selecting leaders, finding leaders, of going to, in their three-year terms, about 36 board meetings of reading reports, financial statements, of directing the mission and vision of this congregation. And so their terms have now come to an end, and we want to say thank you. Um, Gratitude is an important thing in any congregation. So at this time, I just want to invite uh, Larry Iaquinta, Tom D'Andrea, and Linda Combs to come forward. And just stand in front of us all, and we're going to quiz you on a few things here. <laughs> what was the endowment balance last month? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we give thanks to all of you for your service, for being president at the board meetings, for talking about a lot of difficult things, a lot of joyous things, a lot of mundane things. It's the work of the church. As we heard in our reading, it's as common as mud. And sometimes it can feel like it's all over us, right? Um, You're in the weeds most of the time, dealing with things that are breaking, the looming uh, air conditioning units, the flickering light bulbs, which aren't flickering yet. Um, All of the little nitty-gritty things that any church has to deal with and confront on a day-after-day-after-day basis. And your terms have come to an end, and we are grateful. It has been my tradition to give a book to outgoing board members, and so this time, this time I've selected... The poetry of impermanence, mindfulness, and joy. Impermanence because your terms are not forever. (laughs) Mindfulness because you are entering into a new stage of your leadership here in this congregation. And joy because there were joyous moments on the board and there will be more joyous moments to come. And so I share a brief poem with you from Anna Swear. Priceless Gifts. An empty day without events, and that is why it grew immense as space. And suddenly, happiness of being entered me. I heard in my heartbeat the birth of time, and each instant of life, one after the other, came rushing in like priceless gifts. Thank you you all for your priceless gifts uh, in your service on the board. All right, Tom and Linda. And we also have three outgoing nominating committee members, uh, Becky Wallace, Martin Herbner, and Chris LeBeau. Are you here? I know two of you are. All right, come on down. The nominating committee has the arduous task of asking people in the congregation to commit to service on the board. Um, And sometimes the board asks you to have them uh, commit to other things as well. Would you be willing to lead this group or that group? Or uh, who in our midst is worthy of recognition from one of our congregational uh, awards of our recognitions um, every single year? You all entered the nominating committee and had a little bit of chaos here and there. I think every nominating committee has chaos, but you had some special chaos where 
things went missing and you had to reinvent a few wheels and to get things going and you took on that task with grace. Um, I'm not going to say ease. I'm sure there are moments when you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, and so I figured you all could use a little zen after this, after your service on the nominating committee. I'm giving you everything you need to have a mini Zen garden at home, at your office, or at your final nominating committee meeting, or whichever other meeting you decide to take on next. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Don't spill the sand. Um, <laughs> um, but everything you need for a little Zen after a, uh, a rich experience, a full experience on the nominating committee. So thank you. Becky will get hers another time. All right. And we have one more, um, one more little celebration to have here at this congregation. This is, kind of, this is acting in the service, celebrating our service, celebrating our work. Um, Esther, please take a, a stand right over here. If you were at our congregational meeting uh, just a week ago, a couple weeks ago, oh my goodness, it's flying by. Uh, we affirmed having a second community minister here at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington. And here at UUCL, we've opened our hearts and our minds to an understanding of ministry that is broader than just what I do as your called parish minister on Sunday morning and throughout the week. We celebrate that each and every one of us here has a ministry and a call to service. For some professional ministers, our call brings us not into the parish, but amongst the people of the world. Since I've arrived here as your minister four years ago now, we've welcomed the Reverend Deanna Holtgren as one of our community ministers, recognizing that her work as a hospital chaplain at UK is a life-giving expression of Unitarian Universalism. We've entered into relationship with her, covenanting to support her ministry, to welcome her in our midst, and to support the well-being of Unitarian Universalist ministry, however it is expressed. Today, I welcome another colleague into covenant with this congregation, the Reverend Esther Hurlbert. Esther attended Lexington Theological Seminary here in town and graduated in 2007 and was ordained by the UU Fellowship of Madison County in 2011. That's in Richmond, Kentucky, for those who are not familiar. Her primary ministry is, in her own words, returning worth and dignity to old people. She's developed a curriculum on aging set to be published by the Unitarian Universalist Association in Boston. She authored the UUA's official pamphlet on spirituality and aging, and she founded Leg Legacy Home here in Lexington, a cooperative living center for women aged 55 or older of modest incomes. This is but a fraction of her work as a minister, and today we enter into covenant with one another. And so I would invite Esther. We... As colleagues, we always set up our own personal covenants. We've already signed a covenant with the congregation, but this is a public declaration of our covenant together as colleagues. And so, Esther, I invite you to share your covenant. I covenant to uphold the Unitarian, Uni Unitarian Universalist Society for Community Ministries Code of Professional Conduct. I covenant to be in right relationship with you as the congregation, with my colleague, Reverend Deanna Hultgren, and with Brian. I covenant to respect you, Brian, 
as the settled minister of UUCL, I do not want your job. <laughs> I will collaborate with you if you ask me, but I will not interfere with your work in this congregation unless you ask for my assistance or my opinion. And I will uphold the covenant with this congregation as set forth um, by the board of directors. And finally, for Brian, as our work with the Poor People's Campaign, I covenant to bail you out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> We have similar things to say to each other here. <laughs> Esther, I covenant to uphold the UU Society for Community Ministries uh, Code of Ethics and Conduct, as well as uphold my own professional organization, the UU Ministers Association Code of Ethics and Conduct. I covenant to be in right relationship with you, to continue in relationship with this congregation and with other community ministers, uh, such as the Reverend Deanna Holtgren and any UU minister that decides to affiliate with us. I covenant to respect you in your own work as a community minister, to value that work, and to lift that up as a uh, life-giving celebration of our UU tradition. I will collaborate with you, and I will not interfere with your work or your role. I don't want your job either. <laughs> I will uphold the covenants of right relationship that this congregation has adopted and all the policies and covenants set forth by our board. And likewise, if we're not taking over the governor's office together again, I'll bail you out of jail, unless we're both in jail. <laughs> At which point we'll call one of you. So we'll <laughs> that is my covenant with you, these things and so many others. Uh, those things that are left unspoken, those things that we talk about together as colleagues, all those I promise to you this day as well. So thank you. Now. To the members of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, will you uphold the support and support the ministry of the Reverend Esther Holbert, knowing that her work is an expression of our living tradition in the world? If so, say, we will. We will. Will you respect her calling, acknowledging her as a minister in relationship with the church, but also respecting the boundaries she will put on her time and availability? If so, say, we will. We will. Will you affirm that Esther is not an employee of the church? but in relationship with us and commit yourselves to an ever-deepening expression and exploration of that relationship. If so, we will. We will. Susan? Hi, I'm Susan Cohn. Um, on behalf of the UUCL board, we're happy to join into covenant with Esther Hurlbert as our second community minister and look forward to a long and very uh, joyful interaction with all of you. Thank you. Now there's one more thing. We are Congregationalists. We owe our heritage to the Puritans, and the Puritans had a lovely tradition called the Right Hand of Fellowship. Now amongst the Puritans, this was considered one of the most prestigious moments in any ordination of a minister or installation of a minister, whether it was a parish minister or in condoning their work in the wider world. 
we seem to have forgotten that this is an important event, and we kind of just go, oh, oh, we'll have someone shake our hand during the ordination. But it was deeply meaningful to our Puritan ancestors, and it is deeply meaningful to our story as ministers and our story as Unitarian Universalists. It comes to us from the book of Galatians from uh, that prolific author, Paul. And he talked about Barnabas being greeted with the right hand of fellowship with the other disciples and the apostles. And there's many interpretations of this story, but what it means is that it was a recognition of their work in the world. It was a recognition of their work of spreading their message, the gospel of love, but also of recognizing that it can be hard work. It can be dangerous work. It can be work that will break our hearts, but it can be life-giving still and joyous still. And the right hand of fellowship was not just a handshake. It was an affirmation and a sealing of that covenant. So as the parish minister of this congregation, Esther, I offer you the right hand of fellowship, and I welcome you as the community minister of this congregation. Now we get into a sermon. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> we do give thanks for the work of our outgoing board members, nominating committee members, and all of you who have found your call to ministry here in this congregation. Our elected leaders have taken up tasks that are needed for our congregation to function, and they've put in the necessary work and grit to make it happen. It is something to be called to service, especially in a mid-sized Unitarian Universalist congregation in Kentucky. There can be an urgency to serving a church such as ours. We need it to survive, we will say, to thrive, to continue. There are not many of us in this state. We need to ensure that the work we do here is better than anywhere else, we tell ourselves week after week. And then we enter our first board meeting and find out we are discussing the first Sunday potluck again. <laughs> or why the dang light fixtures keep overheating and flickering or how we are going to save up enough money to replace all of our central air units whose life expectancy has long passed, but they still keep chugging along. Knock on wood. We have grand visions of how we will cultivate leaders here in this congregation, how we will celebrate them, how will we ensure everyone knows how to find their place here. And then we arrive for that first nominating committee meeting and find out all the documents from years past that we need are now missing. The life of a religious community is always like this. Whether we're Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Unitarian Universalists, what have you, the nitty-gritty practical tasks are always in abundance, and that includes the annoying things as well. Yes, for all that serve here, we do give thanks. For the person that picks up the piece of trash on the floor when they see it, we give thanks. Just as we give thanks for the project manager for our recent renovations. The scope of each of those examples is obviously different, but for me, as a minister, what matters most is that someone has felt called to those vastly varied tasks. I've shared this story many times when I served in Concord, Massachusetts before being called here as your minister. Uh, I got to know the people quite well, and I truly loved that congregation just as I loved every congregation I've been a part of and been a member of and served just as I love this congregation now. And the people were varied and interesting. They were quirky and normal, whatever that means. 
They were rich and poor, gay and straight, joyful and sorrow-laden. They were all of these things and many more, just as we are here. Any good community is both weird and wonderful, boring and exciting, the full spectrum of human experience. I've mentioned one parishioner there in Massachusetts many times, but her story is worth telling, and it'll be worth telling again and again uh, for the rest of my life. She was always at that church. Every event, you could count on her being there. Every Sunday service, faithfully in the pews or in the choir. I got to know her better than most people at that congregation because as the intern there, I was often the one cleaning up, carrying chairs, turning out the lights, and locking up, and so was this woman. She was from humble roots. She had a thick blue-collar Boston accent, and she didn't quite dress the part for Concord, Massachusetts. She told it like it is, whether you liked it or not, but she was also one of the most lovely people you would ever meet. And she volunteered to set up, clean up, and do whatever she could for any event where she was available. I worked with her often and got to know why she was always the one that was there. She told me one day as we put away tables in the parish hall. It wasn't because of one of those classic church horror stories. You know what I mean. She started doing it and now couldn't get out of it. It wasn't because she felt obligated by some latent Catholic guilt from a previous church or Lutheran guilt or, I don't know, is there Buddhist guilt? I have no idea. From her previous religious experience. She was clear in her reason. It was none of those things. She loved the people there. She loved that community. She loved contributing to its continued flourishing. Now, when we hear the word flourishing coming out of a minister's mouth, we often think that it's going to turn into a stewardship sermon where we talk about the dreaded M word, money. But not today, though I do encourage you to continue giving generously. <laughs> when this woman spoke of flourishing when she served that church in Massachusetts, she meant that her service, her work, her nuts and bolts cleaning and tidying and hauling, the work that, as Marge Piercy said, is as common as mud, especially in churches. By doing that, she was opening up the way for the mission of the church to be fulfilled. In our acts of service to any community, even if it is changing the proverbial light bulb, we are contributing to the mission work. It might not be as glamorous as taking over the Capitol Rotunda in Frankfurt in protest, but it is part and parcel of who we are as a people, as the UU Church of Lexington, Kentucky. Like the worker bees tending to the young and the old in the bee colony, there is an essential place for each and every one of us in this vibrant church. But it is one thing to say that, that we are all called. It is another to give people the tools to find a way. And that is where I believe we can do better as a community. Some of you have readily found your way. Others are wondering what on earth you have to do to find out what is going on. To some of you I say, please read the newsletter. I know you're not. <laughs> and others still, we know who clicks. We know who clicks. <laughs> and others still are wondering if they are the right person to do that thing they've been thinking about since they arrived here. My hope is that many of you are discerning if you are the right person for whatever that may be, because you are. Perhaps it's not in the grandest way that you've envisioned, but perhaps in humbler, practical ways. But who knows? Have you tried? Have you talked to me about your dreams for this congregation? 
Have you talked to our church president? What will it take to get you to take that leap? I ask these things not in an accusatory way to anyone here in particular, but because while I do believe this congregation is increasingly healthy, vibrant, and joyous, I also wonder what it will take to unlock our fullest potential. I don't wonder that with any angst or haste on my part, though it can be disappointing sometimes. I realize, though, that this is your church. I could preach until I am blue in the face, but if someone has not made the leap to claim this community as their own, not just in name, but in truly calling it home, no amount of preaching will do any good. So this is an invitation to all of you to be open and honest with your board and with me. A great deal of my job in the service of those called to the board is to be called to listen, to just listen, to listen to the gathered people and to chart a way forward from there. I'll be quick to add that listening does not always mean everything will happen. But what it does mean is that while we may not be able to accomplish every hope, every project, or every desire, we can find ways for everyone's gifts and talents to be of service or to carve out some new endeavor. If you've sat on board meetings any time since the founding of this congregation, you might wonder if there will ever be a time when we have enough volunteers for everything. It was in the earliest board minutes. We need more volunteers for this. Where will we get volunteers? The earliest board minutes. The answer is no. And the answer is that we are not unique in any way when it comes to one of those perennial problems that any voluntary organization has, such as ours. There will always be far more work to do than there are volunteers. There will always be those who do not serve in any capacity, some of whom have very good reasons, some of whom just need an hour a week to escape. It is not under my purview as a minister to be a dealer of guilt. I will leave that to your own conscience. But I also want everyone to know that despite what we like to tell ourselves, there are plenty of people, plenty of you, already making this place come alive every single week. And part of that life, though it should not just be that, is sitting right here. There is no one right way to thank our volunteers, but I think it is helpful for us to see in some way who we are and what we've done. These are not exhaustive categories, but here are a few things that happen here. So please wave your hand or make yourself known in some way when you find here a category that fits you. If you've participated in our religious exploration program in any way, teachers, mentors, chaperones, people that have made uh, crafts, bought supplies, or stepped in at the last minute, who are you in our midst? If you've participated in the spiritual life of this congregation, if you've contributed to the life of Sunday services and made music here at UUCL, if you've been a worship associate, a choir member, people that know how to actually use our sound system and technology, <laughs> one of our podcast volunteers, worship aesthetics, leaders of Sangha, Cups, Covenant Groups, Cardinal Valley Mentors, servers of breakfast at the Catholic Action Center, hosts of dinners for six, who are you? Well, of course the choir. <laughs> Hospitality. If you've brewed coffee, sat on the membership team, greeted people, served as an usher, welcomed newcomers, prepared a first Sunday lunch dish, picked up garbage on the floor, tidied up the chairs in the sanctuary, put away tables and chairs in the fellowship hall, said hello to a person in the corner who is obviously nervous being here. 
the artists and organizers amongst us, the musicians and bringers of joy. Who are you? If you served as a member of the board or the nominating committee, someone who has worked on our property, a handyman or woman that has helped, memorial garden volunteers, gardeners, painters, light bulb changers, who are you? And everyone else who has done something to bring this place alive tangibly over the last year, who are you? I don't know about you, but it did look like there are a lot of people making this place happen. And for those of you that did not see yourself in those very broad categories, it is never too late. <laughs> it is easy for me to say that as your minister, but I also look around the world today and the politics that are being passed by our government, the clashing of values, the rise in extremism, and the empowerment of hate. I look at those things and know that the flourishing of a place such as this, the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, is absolutely necessary. Now, I've preached a lot on what it means to be church this year. It's no accident and that, it's no accident at all, actually. And I know that it's all, not all some vain hope. Many of you have come along on a journey of discernment and found just the right place where your gifts can come alive here. Others, I know, are still discerning. But there's one thing that is left out of these conversations about what a church is and how we serve. Gratitude. Simple gratitude. One of the great criticisms of mostly white Protestant culture, of which we owe a great deal of our heritage to, is that gratitude is hard to come by. If you were anything like me growing up, you were raised to believe that people should do what they say they're going to do, and that gratitude that they should expect is just knowing they did a good job. That's all the gratitude you get. You did a good job. Good job. That's it. I still find myself struggling with that attitude, and it's hard when it runs bone deep in a culture to change it. But gratitude is easier than you might think. To simply thank someone for cleaning up the coffee or for even brewing it in the first place. To thank someone for sitting through 36 board meetings during their term. To thank someone for handling chaos with resilience. To thank someone for saying yes to their call to service. The Dalai Lama once said that in order for compassion to mean anything, we need to act on it. And one way we act on it is through gratitude, which in itself is an act of service to humanity. So this is the hope I have for this place, that we embody gratitude, a gratitude that compels us to simply say thanks for the small acts of service we see here every single day, but also the larger ones. Is gratitude a magical cure-all? Absolutely not, it isn't but it is certainly worth more than relentless expectations or throwing our hands in the air wondering why nothing is getting done. Because things are getting done, right? Not all of them, but a lot of them. And for that, we give thanks. So you have my thanks to all of you who have contributed in a constructive way to this good and right place. Thank you. To all of you, thank you. To all of you, thank you. Thank you. Now let's get back to work.